Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. My old, man, my old man is 76 years old, and I saw as he's getting older, I think about this a lot. But, like, dude, this whole coaching deal, like, when it's all said and done, the super billion hours you put in and all the things you miss, the only people who are going to remember that are the people that are closest to you in your life, not the other, not your coworkers and not the company. So, think about that as you, like, if you get a chance to control that environment for people, you can become as powerful and influential as anything you could ever monetarily put in their bank account. Welcome to Coaching Coordinator Podcast and our series, Culture OS, with our host, Rob Pomazak. Rob, I'm excited here for this first interview we have today. There's been a lot of planning going into this, so it's fun to get into this first interview right now. Yeah, it's uh, extremely exciting to, to kind of get this thing rolling. We talked to some great coaches, and I think uh, having Coach Drinkle be the uh, kickoff to this series is kind of uh, the perfect thing to get people's minds in the right spot and really encompasses what the Culture OS uh, mission is all about here, Keith. Definitely, and I met just like you. I met Matt Drinkle in the first year of doing the podcast and was able to interview him and talked to him about his program, and he was at Kansas Wesleyan at the time as a head coach and had done an outstanding job in uh, the previous season, uh, which we were talking about. But what I found with Matt, he's, he's always just honest and straightforward. He's never afraid to get a little vulnerable, uh, share the things that he feels and thinks, and, and ultimately, being like that, he helps other coaches get better. Yeah, I, I heard Matt speak a few years back as a, when he was head coach at Kansas Wesleyan. And that was exactly the, the idea that I had from him is he's very straightforward. He thinks very pragmatically. He knows his strengths. He knows his weaknesses. And he has this really unique way of delivering great content. And he did not disappoint. Like everything he said, I've listened to that one in particular three or four times and just kind of going back over. And our relationship has gone from me being uh, you know, watching him speak to him coming into our building to recruit. And, and now I would call him a friend of mine, which is a, a privilege because I really think he's just one of the best coaches out there. There are hard pressed to find somebody with his level of experience and his viewpoints and his success rate, to be honest with you. I agree. And listeners, you're in for a great one here. Here's 
our first interview in Culture OS, led by Rob Pomazak with Matt Drenkel, offensive line coach at Army West Point. What you see on tape is a direct reflection of what you teach and how you teach. Video is important, but if you don't teach well, you're not going to like what you see on your video. First Down Playbook has been helping coaches teach better for 13 years. It allows you to present installs, playbooks, and practice cards in half the time with NFL quality. Coaching tools like video pairing, a player app, practice schedules, and wristband sheets have made First Down Playbook a program management system with everything in one place. If you're in a position of leadership with your football program, receive a free one-week look at First Down Playbook. Call them at 512-814-6158 or visit them on their website or social media. Mention Coach and Coordinator Podcast or use the coupon code COACH24 to receive a $100 discount off the normal $700 First Down Playbook team membership price. Links and the phone number are in the show notes. As coaches, we know that some of the biggest hurdles to our team's success can come from off the field. Your team needs support to tackle the endless list of expenses, uniforms, training equipment, travel, and more. But raising that money can feel like a full-time job. Thankfully, there's Vertical Raise. Vertical Raise is the premier online fundraising platform using innovative technology to create the easiest and most efficient system available. Raise more money in less time with a local fundraising coach who works with your team every step of the way to customize the ideal fundraiser. With options for online donations, digital discount cards, premium product sales, and even spirit shops, Vertical Raise has top-of-the-line solutions for every fundraising style. To find out more, visit verticalraise.com and we'll get you connected with an exclusive offer on your first fundraiser. All right, I'm really excited to talk with my next guest. We have former head coach and, and current offensive line coach at Army, Matt Drinkle. If you have followed Matt throughout uh, not only his social media, but then his coaching career, you'll see a trail of success wherever he's been. And one of my big privileges in doing this is is kind of picking people who I've admired from afar. And I was talking to Matt previously before we got on, just talking about how when I first heard him speak at the USA Football Clinic, I just wanted to find out more about not just even the X's and O's, but how he built his program with such intent. So Matt, thanks for being on today. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. Always appreciate your time. I know you're busy. So I'll just jump right in. Okay. We talked earlier, you were over at Kansas Wesleyan, had a ton of success at that school, offensive coordinator at St. Ambrose. We did talk a little bit about you starting at the high school level. So a shout out to the high school coaches, but you've, you, you've risen the ranks. But what I really want to know about is like, what's your personal mission, vision, and purpose? You know, we talk about like day to day, what are you thinking about? What are some of the long-term things from a vision standpoint that you wanted to bring into a program, both as a head coach and now as a, an assistant? And, you know, what's your personal why? That's a great question. I think like uh, I got really lucky because I got into coaching really young and kind of right out of the gate and I got really good advice. So I was a terrible player at Iowa, got hurt, and I spent like three years of college basically on crutches from having surgeries, right? So I spent a bunch of time with the coaching staff there and helped out any way you could. And one of the Last conversations I had with Coach Ferentz, I was like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm really thinking about going into this coaching thing as a, as a career. You know, I like it. You work with young people. 
it seems like competitive and challenging. And he just, he gave me really good advice when I was young. As he said, you know, you can't worry about how much money you make. You can't worry about statistics and wins and records and, you know, what level you're at. And you, you worry about all these external things that you really can't control. He's like, one day you'll end up 60 years old and your whole life and career will have passed you by. And I always, I mean, that was really like the first kind of coaching advice. And now, and I'm the only person in my family that played sports, period. So like when I got into this, I had no mentors, no guidance, no elite, nothing, no idea what I was doing <laughs> to a fault. But I thought I, that advice always stuck with me. And I give, you know, every once in a while you, you, you talk to somebody about a job or whatever and you know, where do you see yourself long-term in five years? I get all those questions and I always used to bullshit my way through it, to be honest with you. But I have come to an answer that is honest and I believe it. I want to be around people I truly believe in and I want to be at a place I believe in. So if you can do those two things, I think you're in pretty good shape. And I've taken a very non-traditional path in my coaching career, I coached from division one all the way down to high school and small college and partial scholarships and fulls and the whole bit. So, and I've had fun at every stop. So and you learn from a ton and there's great people and great coaches everywhere. So I want to really, that's it for me. I'm not driven by, I just want to be doing those things around people. I believe in doing something I believe in. You hit on a couple of things that I was hoping that you would talk about. You first talked about mentorship and getting that advice. And I can relate to the path of getting to where you're at. I was a baseball player, football player in high school, but baseball player in college. And, and then after that, and football found me after I got to become a teacher. How important is it to find those people who are doing the things that you want to do and then get that mentorship and not only get it, but then take the advice that they give you? It's huge, but it's like the, you know, what's, it's really hard for, I think, young coaches, and it certainly was me, is you kind of, you, you really compare yourself versus other people a lot. And it's, it's when you're starting out, I think, and it's really apples to oranges. Uh, you know, you, you'll hear, you know, everybody knows the one young guy that got a job that is crazy. So then you think like, oh, well, that's, Everyone that just happens to anybody, you know. What I mean, it's like if I go get a job at High V bagging groceries, am I going to end up like Kurt Warner because he did? No, but everyone <laughs> thinks like that when you're in your mid twenties and early twenties. You know what I mean? So I think like if the more advice you can get from multiple experiences and different times in their lives, I think that goes a long way. You know, like going back into kind of the first question, like I'm at West Point where. I believe in what I am doing. Like when I recruit a kid to West Point, I truly believe like we're making the world and the country a better place. So like, that's awesome. I work with the best kids. Like they're Renaissance men. They're good at everything. They're great guys. The staff is incredible. And our head coach is like the best dude I've ever met. Like I learned something from coach Munkin every single day. So, and we don't have to deal with the portal or NIL stuff. <laughs> so all these, you know, you get, I get horror stories from other places, man. Like the grass is always greener on the other side. So there's some cool stuff about like being kind of where you're at, understanding it. Because when I got here, man, like me and Coach Munkin is on the 
football schematic or as far polar opposites as you could ever possibly be. But like the way we saw how you got to win games and build teams and build a program, those were incredibly aligned, which I think is just, it's a neat thing to see. Like, I don't know, man, I think sometimes coaches overvalue scheme and undervalue behaviors. Mm. Wow. All right. Well, I'll dive right into that because I've seen you firsthand from a recruiting standpoint and the way that you walk into a building and the way that you build relationships with not only the players, but the coaches that you're talking with is second to none. And I think that's a huge compliment because it speaks to your initial statement of you want to be a part of something that you want to be around. And I guess my question was when you were the head coach, how did you create that? How do you create something that people want to be around all the time? And and that's, I think, maybe a million dollar question. Yeah, it's a lot of a lot of answers to that. So you know, for if you don't know, like so I got hired at, at Kansas Wesleyan University uh in 2014. I coached there for five seasons. Now when I got hired there, the last guy had been there for a long time. He was there 17 years. So they're kind of they've been doing it a way for a long time. The school was very small uh enrollment. And we had 37 kids on the whole roster when I got hired. I think four total linemen. <laughs> so we were really, really intentional and meticulous with like how, who I hired as my staff, how we built things from year one and transition. In our first year, we went two and nine, which I can't believe we won two, to be honest with you. And then over the next four years, won 40 of our next 44. And we did a lot of things that impacted that and like how to get there. But that was a big chunk of my growth was kind of getting like when you get the keys to the car, it takes you a little bit to realize like, oh, wait, I don't have to check with anybody. Like I'm in charge. I can decide what we do and how we do it. And then you start thinking about, well, all right, well, it's not. I think one of the best things that helped me was when I was coming up through coaching, I did every crap job you could have to do. Like I was a graphics guy, painting practice fields, equipment, laundry, uh, strength and conditioning coach, speed coach, like pseudo nutritionist, you know, like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. People won't get that out of your head guy, man. Your football practice is recessed. So, So, yeah, you just when I did all of those. You don't realize it. You know, I got special teams coordinator. I coached defense. I coached offense like inside the box, outside the box. Like I kind of had this. This really. uh, At the time. Unintentional palette that I built up of kind of like this is how a thing should run. Mm -hmm. So when I was able to become a head coach at a smaller place that doesn't have every resource on the face of the earth. It was it helped me because I kind of knew how everything should run. And then that was what that's what's been incredible about being back at, or being at West Point now is, you know, my time in Iowa way back in the early 2000s, like college football is totally different now. Mm-hmm. So seeing how, you know, how somebody manages staffs of this size and salary pools of X amount and how you use support staff and integrate with all of the different resources on campus like that, that to me is that's been a pretty cool experience here, like learning that as well. There's two questions I have to follow up. What was the end game when you took over at Kansas Wesleyan? Because you talk about, you know, the numbers were down, but 
you and I both know when you go into a program, there, there's an end game that you want to get to, right? And you start to work backwards. Where were you hoping to leave that program after you left? When I hired my staff, like those guys, I, I, I know those guys, those guys are like closer to me than my own family. Yeah. So I kind of told them, I said, you know, the legacy, I want to leave here. I'm not going to like leave here with the most wins or, you know, championship. I'm not, none of that. But my goal is that Kansas Wesleyan 50 years from now is good. Mm -hmm. And they've been good since. And somebody goes, oh, yeah, I remember the old guy who did that, who got that thing going. Like that was kind of going to be it. So it it had, uh, I, I really think like you you asked earlier about like, uh, like how do you build kind of a, an environment around mm -hmm. people who you want to be around? So like that is the, the biggest deal to me. Like the best advice I could give anyone in hiring a staff, I don't care if it's the NFL yeah, maybe it's a, maybe I care a little bit if it's the NFL, but if it's major college football down to a a flag football in fourth grade, if you are hiring a staff, you hire loyalty above everything else. If you have, if you only have ten, you're going to hire ten people, and they are all quarterback coaches, and they're all on offense, and they're all the same age, but you can trust them with your life. Hire them all, and we'll, you guys will figure it out. Like you hire loyalty above anything else. So when I was able to like, the, so I had guys that every single person on my staff played for me, except for two guys at the very end. But when I was building the program, these were all people that knew me. So they kind of knew it helped me get me aligned really fast because they knew me, they knew how I operated. But then at the same time, they knew like I'm an honest person. Like I, I have a really good relationship with them. So hey, when I say, hey, I need us to do these things, whether it's administrative, athletic, academic, whatever, they know I put thought into that and have a reason why. And I ask their input and I trust them the same way they trust me. But then what was huge was I can sit there with a family when I'm recruiting kids and initially say like, hey, we got to get it going or whatever. But all these dudes played for me. Do you think they would have played for me, had a bad experience, and then wanted to work for me? So I think that that helped us a lot early on as far as getting buy-in. Um, and then when the kids were there, like, and I told the staff this, like, if you this out of everything, this is maybe the thing I'm the most proud of. If you ever walked by our practices or meetings, you would have no idea who the head coach was or who a graduate assistant was. Every person was referred to as coach, whatever. And that was by me. That was by the players. That was assistant to assistant. I didn't, that whole, you got to get, take GAs through the ringer crap. And but no, you don't. Yeah. didn't help anybody. So our kids saw that genuine respect and camaraderie and peer to peer, like true respect that if I was talking to one of our graduate assistants, it was, hey, coach, whoever. And that's a big deal. I, I think that went a long way. And then I explained to all those guys, like the number one piece of our program has to be transparency. And I talk about that the very first meeting every single semester. Hey, I am here to serve you guys. All of the staff, we have jobs to make sure that you guys have a really, really rewarding experience. Now, there's a lot of things that contribute to that which we try to do a good job holistically, but we want you guys to have a really, really good experience. That is the number one goal for us. 
So we need to be transparent. If you guys want to know, hey, Coach Drinkle, how come we wear these shorts? Or how come you practice these periods at these times? Or how come we have to have – I better have an answer for you. If a coach doesn't have an answer for you, we got to get you one or find a better way to do it. And I, I think people just really – we're just totally sincere and genuine. And now you will laugh at this as being a head coach, but anyone who has not been a head coach doesn't understand that when you are a head coach on every team, there is minimum 10 kids that think you are Satan or Hitler or a combination <laughs> of both. And their parents think you're worse than that. <laughs> and there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> nothing you can do about it. So every kid that has a great experience, there are 10 kids right now that are burning a picture of you somewhere. Oh, don't I know it. Oh, man. Well, I got more than 10. <laughs> what a tremendous answer. Because if because there's a lot to unpack there. And, and just I think you answered the question of how you, how you created a place that people wanted to be a part of and you wanted to be a part of. You got all these p- former players coming back. That automatically sells that message to everybody. Like it, it was such a good experience for those guys that they came back into that program. And then the the fact that you align all those coaches and those arrows that we're equal and we're gonna do that, we're gonna do this the right way. It's just such a great delivery, you know. Honestly, like as I look back at how I coach, it's like early on, man, oh, you cringe at some of the things you did. You're like where your ego was so sensitive that you just had no other way of doing you didn't know what you didn't know. But man, I wish I would have heard those what you said 10 years ago because it makes so much sense to me in how you develop that buy-in like what what a tremendous answer talking about loyalty the one thing that you you hit on really struck kind of struck a chord with me i I, i've been through staffs where there's loyalty issues at both as a head coach and both as an assistant coach How, how do you how do you meet that head on if you do see it within one of your staff members to me, the biggest thing is like, and I wasn't perfect. Like I had to let guys go sometimes and right. stuff. And that's not great. But to me, it's like, I think it's a very simple deal. I got all this leadership BS and all this management advice. And all. Dude, if there's any environment where someone can't tell someone else the truth, that ain't, that ain't good. You know what I mean? Like I, I told my staff, I'm like, I will have plenty of ideas. Your guys jobs are to stop me from doing all of the dumb ones, which will be most of them. Like if, we, if I have a stupid idea and then I do it and you, I find out you guys knew it was stupid. Now I'm going to be pissed. You know, like, so to me, it's, you just, you have to have this environment where between, you know, and you got to have like some social savvy, you know what I mean? Like as a, as a, from a managerial standpoint, but like, can everyone be honest with each other? If somebody, maybe somebody's complaining about something I'm doing. Well, if the, if I can't trust someone on staff to like get that person in line and aligned with us right away, you know what I mean? Like that that environment and that culture has to exist. Yeah, I think that's a that's a sage point with being able to be honest with each other. I, I I know in the experiences I've had, and even as a head coach, where we're we're watching film or there was a decision that was made, and somebody's going to say, "Yeah, I didn't." really didn't think we should have done that. I just wish you would have told me <laughs> right, right then and there. You know, I think when you say like, keep me from doing the stupid things or making poor decisions, I, I can relate to, I can relate to that a ton. So flip the script now, because now you're, you're an assistant in army. How does that, how does that change with the, They have a very specific way of going about it as an assistant coach. 
how do you look towards the head coach with your past experience, knowing what you know? I'm a way better assistant coach now, having been a head coach. I was a head coach for about two weeks. And I call everybody. I call everybody that I was an assistant for and apologize to them. So, uh, <laughs> like I said, Coach Munkin here is really, really good. Like, yeah, you know, the football. Like as coaches, we don't we don't really like cross over with a bunch of other parts of West Point. You know, like everybody kind of thinks it's just like we're all like serious, sir. Like that's not. <laughs> it's like you just we work here. So. Coach Munkin, like seeing our own independent culture, where like what he has done that's really unique here. Like, this is a great example of how like, he's like a transformational leader. Everything's kind of, you know, tough at West Point on you. It's tough because it's a challenging environment, right? He wants football to be the most challenging part of their whole day. And our kids are built, not only he's got like his dudes in here rolling, like they're wired that way. It's awesome. So, whereas most people like, would try to be like, well, the whole everything else is hard. We got to take it easy on them. Like just little choices like that are really good. And, and, you know, you get to see how he makes choices between like, hey, this is like kind of like when you're trying to decide how to discipline a, a player. I've heard I've heard it explained like, was it an error in judgment or an error in character? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you have to make those decisions, whether I you know, a lot of it, if he's your best quarterback or something like that, that influences probably a decision for everybody a little bit, you know, <laughs> as far as like, do I suspend him? Do I do I just give them some community service? You know, whatever. At least you're being honest. Um, I think, yeah, like that's, yeah, whatever. Our kids get it. And I've heard coaches explain it like, he's like, listen, why would I suspend a really good player that impacts all of the kids in a negative way? And they're like, I know that's like a get out of jail free card, but that's a great point too. You know, like you, like you can be like, eh, but you can't really argue against it. Um, but like those same decisions with staffing, you know what I mean? Like, there are positions that you hire at 25,000, 40,000, all the way up to whatever the heck, you know, coordinators and position coaches, like big time money, right? Like, so how do you manage your, from a managerial standpoint, how do you make a decision on, hey, this person has enough good that I just need to train them and correct, get some of these things corrected or grow, give them opportunities for growth, or this person isn't producing and, and isn't a fit for us. Uh, you know, within the program, they're not aligned, whatever, not skilled enough, whatever. So like how you balance those decisions at all levels of that spectrum, uh, you know, and, and the demanding and the accountability and all those things like that, that's where Coach Munkin has been super, super good. And then you work with like Nate Woody. He's he's the exact opposite personality of a guy like Monk. And so it's just that, that part of it's been really cool about being here. And I think you can kind of apply those same, whether it's a high school staff, a small college staff, or a big college staff. I think a lot of that stuff carries over. I've always been interested in the use of technology to make our jobs more effective. So I'm excited to continue sharing modern football technology with you here on the podcast. This innovative system leverages tendencies to improve self-scouting, game planning, and in-game decision-making at the speed of the game. Modern football stands out because it's a battle-tested platform used by teams at all levels, like four-time national champion Bishop Gorman, the five-time California state champion Folsom Bulldogs, six-time Texas state champion Lake Travis, Cal football, and the CFL's Grey Cup champions, the Montreal Alouettes. So book a demo today to see why these teams trust modern football technology. Visit www 
www.teammofo.com slash demo and mention Coaching Coordinator Podcast or use the coupon code CC10 to receive 10% off your first year. I, I was uh, talking with another coach this past weekend. We were kind of going through staffing. I always find staff is is probably the most challenging thing for me as a head coach. Like if I was going to look at how I had to improve, it's being better with my staff. And I think staff is such a key performance indicator of your whole program. You know, like if if you got staff that's not getting along or if there's if there's any type of friction, it, it really just gets exponentially broadcasted to everybody else. And, it, and, and in my experience, it, it it's been it's one of those things that you got to nip in the bud. Tra- transitioning here now, what are some, if you don't mind sharing, you know, maybe as a head coach, any hurdles that you faced from a program standpoint that really challenged you where you maybe didn't have the right answer and you had to kind of dig deep and find something? Is that as you came across something like that? <laughs> I know about 10,000 things I screwed up. <laughs> Let's just um, pick one. <laughs> you know, as far as like, uh, I guess some like helpful things that probably people don't think about. Um, or stuff you screwed up. Like here's one thing I screwed up really bad. So my first year I took over and some people are going to be in this situation. This is one thing I did great. Okay. Mm -hmm. One thing I did great. And then one thing I did equally as bad, if not worse. So when I first took over, it was bad. And I knew we were going to be bad. I knew there was all virtually nothing we could do that was going to impact wins and losses the that upcoming season my first year it'd be impossible so i took that off the board i decided like all right how can i define success for these kids in their lives and every day every way possible other than the games it's like when a game got over i never talked about what happened with the game we only talked about things we want to do like you know, unforced errors and aligning correctly. And man, we're tackling better. We're running to the ball better. We're better this week than we were last week. I never once, we never, ever talked about winning and losing ever. Okay. Now it was eat, eats you alive, but you don't want them to see that. They want, we're trying to do it. Man, every kid went to study, study hall on time. Every kid attended their class. Like kids are making gains in the weight room. Even if you're only benching 200 pounds, but you used to be benching 150. Like we fought, we did everything for about 18 months through an entire season to give those kids success. Now we were bricks. I mean, we were detailed, hard ass note, like thumb on everything, details about everything. And that was great. And the next year we went 10 and one, then nine and two. And then here's where I made my biggest mistake is that those, uh, we played all those freshmen and sophomores in my second year. Right. And those kids did all of those foundational things I wanted almost flawlessly, like the being accountable, you know, winning behaviors, Mm -hmm. right? Well, now they were like juniors and seniors and I brought in like, and I was still running the program disciplinarian wise, treating these grown men at 22 years old that have done everything I've wanted for three years. I was still kind of doing it the exact same way as when they were freshmen in the program. Wasn't any like shit. By the time those guys were seniors, every game we played, they expected to win by 20, Mm -hmm. let alone like we would hope when they were freshmen, we would hope if we got within 20, that was a win for us. So like I didn't evolve with the players 
with the culture and with the program fast enough. And I, I truly believe I in 17, we went eight and three, eight and three, eight and two, something like that, nine and two. Something. I, I prevented us from being our best. And I, and I knew it was me. And that's when I made a huge, I read, I talk about this. It's the only book I've ever read that's helped me in coaching the most, I should say, I guess, is the Starbucks experience about managerial decisions about franchising Starbucks and making it the brand, what it is. And that was giving away leadership mm-hmm. and components of it. Best thing I ever did. And that, that helped me where it put more of the onus on the kids with the program and ownership. Like one of the things I did that I've never heard of anyone else do on game day, my last year, I never addressed the team until after the game. I remember you saying something like that. In a, in I assigned I don't talk to the team before practices. I only give them the one or two bullet points after a practice is over. They never hear from me longer than uh, max 15 seconds after a practice, maybe. And they do not hear from me beforehand. So like on game, I would assign out who the leader of the day was. Yeah. So before practice, to bring them up and get them going, it was that dude's responsibility. After practice, it was that dude's responsibility. And then you put some of your heavy hitters on game day. But literally on game day, I would – you know, you'd be at the football facility, print out my call sheet. I'd pop my head in the locker room before I went out to meet the officials, told everybody, have fun. I love you. I'd see them at warm-ups. What was it? I remember when you said that at the at a clinic and I wrote it down because I was the exact opposite. Like it was like, we're going to talk about everything that we're going to do for the next three years at the end of practice. <laughs> and I was like, now I have like a little box that says like three things. But I mean, going back to that story you told, first of all, the discipline to stay true to we're going to we're not going to talk about wins and losses like and it, as a competitor that has to just like eat you up. <laughs> well, hold on. Hold on. That, that sentence alone, we we weren't going to talk about wins, period. That wasn't going to happen that first year. So I knew <laughs> that's right. You said you weren't going to win. Play. You don't have to worry about that. And then to have the self-reflection to realize that. Yeah, we could have had Tom Brady and Michael Vick. (laughs) You've got this grip on the program and you you take them through and you get them to where they need to be, but then to have the self-reflection to say, like, I didn't let go and and let the the leadership that I had front-loaded flourish. I think a lot of coaches can maybe relate relate to. And uh, the idea that you can evolve as a coach year to year and, you know, if you do if you do it the right way, the maturation process of your kids in your program should eventually get to the point where you talked about where it's I can assign the leadership. I can I don't need to be the the at the on my soapbox all the time. I think that's so that's just that's kind of profound in the way that a lot of it goes against what a lot of head, what the typical model of head coaching usually is, you know? Yeah, the other thing is too is always like I sucked at it. Like anyone who knows me. <laughs> Like the, yeah. I'm like this. I'm like this during a game in the fourth quarter. I'm like this, hanging out. With my, I'm just like this. I, so when I like tried to get like, come on, <laughs> guys, like, dude, I suck at it. And those dudes knew that was bullshit. You know what I mean? Like they 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 knew it was out of character. Like something. Yeah, must like be it's wrong. just I'm not comfortable with it. I, you know, you always think about like, and you know, it, you know, psychologically, scientifically, like you know, it doesn't matter what I say anyway. So, you know, the battle is won before it's ever fought, the whole art of war deal. Like, it's, I don't know, it's crazy. But, like, the, you know, even, like, the talking after practice, like, uh, like John Micheletti 
my my defense coordinator at Kansas Wesleyan, who's now the head coach at Mount Marty, he saved me. Like my second year, I was like going on and on after practice, and I could just feel no one listening to me. They were gonna sit there until I got done talking. And I know 30 seconds later that if I was like, hey, name three things I said, they wouldn't be do it. So I looked at our Micheletti and I was like, do they listen to a word? He goes, not a word. I didn't even finish the sentence. I was like, then why do I do that? He's like, I don't know. Why do you do that? And I was like, okay, this is good. This is the dumb stuff I'm doing that I need to stop. Everyone's just pacifying me. So I'd say, hey, study a table this time, practice this time, tomorrow, go. We're done. It's, uh, it's hard to hear sometimes because I think there's probably a lot of people who are sitting listening being like, oh, man. <laughs> that's I'm that guy who just goes just goes on and on and on and nobody and we all know that kids aren't paying attention. <laughs> oh, like it's gone the blink of an eye. I'm getting close to to our hour. I could talk to you for a long time. I just think it's really for me personally, and I think for hopefully people who are listening, it is refreshing to hear. You know, obviously, you're very humble with what you do because you had a ton of success and you you do a great job wherever you go. But it, it's also nice to hear about. Uh, your, the, your process. That's why I wanted to talk to you here because I I think the way that you go about it is is different than ninety percent of the guys who are out there. And I think there's a lot that people could take from it. So last thing, you've I don't know what your plans are if you're ever going to get back into the head coaching ranks, but if you were going to, what would you take from going back to the assistant role, back up to the head coach role? That maybe you've you know you pick something up or. You know, it's I've always wondered what it would be like to go back to being assistant and, and what can I pick up the next time I become a head coach? So I would say this. I've done it both ways. I've been on staffs with a million people and I've been on staffs with very few people. And as my good friend Nick Schroeder says, the truth lies somewhere in the middle. I would hire less staff and I would compensate the staff so well it would be almost impossible for them to leave. Now, here's what I mean by that. When I say compensate, that means different things at different places. Okay. At a place like West Point or Alabama or Georgia or Iowa, you, you just pay them. You pay them so much that they can't, it's hard to leave. When you go down and like when I was at Kansas Wesleyan, the school had slotted in salaries for these positions. I had, they could hire Nick Saban as head coach. That's exactly what those staff positions are making. I think. The, the maybe the most undervalued thing a manager can do is compensate people with work environment and time. I will create an environment at work and with your time that will be unmatched by anywhere else. And as a result, the absolute best coaches that I can get at that level within a reasonable salary they will always come work for me and they will stay working for me, which gives you continuity, which makes you better at everything. There's total alignment there. I will make it where even if you want to leave, your wife will have, love you spending so much time with your kids and your family. She won't let you. That's what I will do different. That's a compelling argument. And uh, but it's it's also very it's simple, done better. And, and I think that's just, again, uh, just really a great perspective. Uh, all right, last question, and I'll I'll let I'll let you alone. But what what one last thought on that? My old man, my old man is seventy six years old, and I saw so as he's getting older. I think mm -hmm. about this a lot. 
But like dude, this whole coaching deal, like when it's all said and done, the super billion hours you put in and all the things you miss, the only people who are going to remember that are the people that are closest to you in your life, not the other, not your coworkers and not the company. So think about that as you like, if you get a chance to control that environment for people, you can become as powerful and influential as anything you could ever monetarily put in their bank account. Again, I, I just think it's it's so it's really impactful and powerful when when you say it because again, it goes against the. I think coaching is trending in that direction, but it's really still you, you, the grind is still embraced to some point, you know. And people use that term however they want, but the idea of making that a, a non negotiable takes a lot of discipline. And it also takes a lot of organization. So I think what people who are looking to do that have to understand, like, if, if you're going to do those things, like you have to be as organized as, as I think you were as a head football coach and, and now as an assistant. It's just uh, it's good stuff, man. Really. All right. Let, this is my last question for you. And I, I was I wanted to ask you this. What is more difficult, building success or sustaining it? Sustaining it. For Why? Sure. Holy cow. <laughs> I don't know because you're because there's a sense of entitlement and I, it's not from the players. It's from everybody like fans have expectations of that. And then the plate like, oh, well, we're I'm on. A, I'm a freshman. I'm on a good team. I'm showing up to the same practices as these other guys. Like I'm doing the like strictly practicing does not produce results. Like everything has to be done with an intent. And it's easy, like when you're a coach to kind of not let off the gas, but assume the internal culture is going to kind of drive everything. So you need to, there has to be something that serves as a catalyst. It's like when a new staff gets hired and new players are coming in, that's the best and easiest catalyst. That's the big bang of the program. That's the best one there is. But then when it starts to become stale, there has to be some kind of catalyst that gets injected into the program as far as, uh, you know, probably routines or behaviors or uh, schematic changes. You can do some of that, you know, you can go from pro style to flex bone or the other way around or odd to even or whatever. So there's some of that stuff you can do to inject those pieces or new traditions and cultures or uniforms or whatever. Um, some of that stuff. I was just wondering, I, I hadn't asked anybody else that question. I kind of have my thoughts and that was, I'm glad you, you gave us that answer. appreciate that. And, you know, Matt Trinkle, uh, offensive line coach at Army, it's been a pleasure. I always appreciate talking to you, whether it's casually or over this podcast. Thanks for giving, you know, an hour of your time. And we'll link all your information to the show notes. And, uh, you know, best of luck to you. And uh, thanks for speaking on it today, Matt. Appreciate you. Hey, thanks again for having me. Wow, Rob, that was an incredible interview. A ton of insight gained from that one. Even though I've talked to Matt numerous times, there were some really great nuggets just for me. So I, I know our listeners benefited from this as well. Without a doubt. Some of my favorite points of what Matt talked about was kind of focusing on what each unit needs every year. He alluded to that first year when uh, talking about wins wasn't even on the table. And uh, I think that's such a unique perspective of kind of recognizing where a program is at or where a team is at and focusing on uh, the other aspects besides the left-hand column. I also really liked where he talked about uh, staff loyalty and how that's a two-way street. One of the biggest things I took away 
was that you have to create an experience for your staff that is based on quality of life because the compensation that your staff will receive with that quality of life cannot have a monetary value to it. And then as always, Matt just gives you these great nuggets on how to continue to develop as a coach from his experience as a head coach now to as an assistant at the division one level, and then what he's going to take back to that next level or that next step of his career. So uh, Matt Trinkle certainly did a great job of articulating his mission, vision, and purpose, and super excited that he came on. Well, I'm super excited that you're doing this interview series for us. Culture OS is off to a great start here both with what you shared in the overview and here in the first interview with Matt Drinkle. I know we have some great ones coming up. The next one will be with Kyle Ralph, head football coach at New Palestine High School in Indiana. He's won some state championships there and built a championship program. We'll have that one for you next week. So again, thank you for the time. We look forward to more. As we're talking with these other coaches on Culture OS, I want to be sure that we also share Coach Pomazak's resources that he's put together for coaches. He's done an outstanding job with these and has put them on CoachTube. Coach, what do you have for us? Well, I created a few courses on CoachTube. Uh, a lot of it surround, surrounds itself around program building. When I we talk about strategic planning or building that mission, vision, and purpose into your program, creating a four-quarter year-round program for both staff and players. And then one that I have seen as being a lot of traction is uh, the collaborative defensive game planning program that I created. Uh, it's a way to get everybody on your defensive staff doing a part of the defensive game plan. It can be done from home and then brought back into the film room as a unit. And uh, it's something that we still use within our program. And I, I know that there's been a lot of coaches who have found it very useful to theirs as well. Be sure to check the link in the show notes to those. You can find those resources on Coach Two.